This is the HuffPost Love and Sex Podcast. Each episode, we ask a single question. To find the answers, we speak with experts and listeners like you. This podcast contains explicit content. Please proceed with caution. I'm Noah Michelson. And I'm Karina Kolodny. This week's question is, well, all of them. As you know, we tell listeners each episode that we love receiving your emails. And it's true. I mean, we basically pretty much have the best listeners that any podcast host could ever want to have. In the history of podcasts. Agreed. Not joking. So we get all sorts of awesome questions. And the one bummer about the volume of emails we get is that we don't have time to answer all of them and respond to all of them. Yeah, or to do an episode on all of them. Correct. So we decided to take an episode where we can do rapid fire and get through as many questions as we can in our 30 minutes allotted time. And they're all from you. All from you. So we're not alone this time, though. Nope. We have Dr. Jana Van Galava joining us to add some insight and fun into our conversation and question-answering session. And some expertise, I would say, because even though you and I, I think, I think it's fair to say we're sex experts for a variety of reasons. I think you probably have a little more schooling than I do. Um, but I think you have more real-life experience. It, maybe. <laughs> but it is nice to have an actual doctor... Definitely. Uh, and professor. A professor who teaches about sex every day, speaks about sex all the time. So Jana um, can offer that to our listeners as well. Definitely. We just sort of riff and then she adds in, you know, the official study and, and makes it all a little bit more jazzy. Exactly. So let's dive in. Our first listener question is, I got my first bullet vibrator and it has totally changed my sex life, but my boyfriend doesn't want me to use it during sex, only during foreplay. I told him that it makes my orgasms better, and it totally offended him. I don't want to hurt his feelings, but why should I have to give up good sex to protect his feelings? Oof, girl. <laughs> girl, you shouldn't. Wow. <laughs> you really shouldn't. I mean, that's that's really sad. I feel bad for him mm -hmm. uh, because it means that his masculinity in some way is so fragile yep. that... A little bullet vibrator can <laughs> uh, threaten it uh, to, to that extent. Um, it's not uncommon, though. I think a lot of men feel like they should be the sole, you know, pl pleasurer mm -hmm. of the woman, uh, and that you know, um, if if he isn't, then he is somehow less of a man. Or um, and it's a very unfortunate, you know. Thought or, or value or, or um, yeah stereotype that we have myth that we have mm -hmm. in our in our Western culture right now that harms so many men and women at the same time. So I think they need to talk about it a little more. Uh, maybe I would suggest send them to some you know g give him some books, send them to some workshops. You know it, it, he needs to understand that during intercourse only about thirty percent of women have an orgasm uh, just from intercourse on a regular basis, that the vast majority of women need something more. And if, you know, if, if, if her orgasm is so much better and stronger with the vibrator, then he really should get down with why it. Why wouldn't you want to use well, that? Well, that's what pisses wouldn't? me off, too. Like, don't you just, the second you say, it makes my orgasm better. Don't yeah. you want then your girlfriend just, to have better orgasms? Right. right. <laughs> um, there's also, 
uh, there are also uh, couples vibrators, like the WeVibe. Oh, yeah. Yeah, where um, it kind of goes, you know, one end goes into the vagina and kind of hits the G-spot, and the other end goes over the clitoris, um, and so provides um, stimulation, vibration on both ends, and is hands-free. So you can put it in there, and the, the penis can also go in mm-hmm. inside at the same time. Um, so, Or maybe they could also try one of those vibrators where someone else is controlling it. And maybe he would like to feel like he had more of a connection if he was the one who was controlling the vibration. Who knows? I think what it also speaks to, though, is the fact that, like, it's not like he's going out of his way then. If he's saying no vibrator because it makes me feel I'm offended by it. It's not like he's saying, but instead I'm going to find out, you know, some new tricks to try on you. Or, you know, it's just like the education isn't there that should go with it, I think. I think it's so sad because it ultimately comes down to an issue that he has, which I think is really like a pandemic i think a Mm -hmm. lot of guys have Mm -hmm. this issue and have this insecurity but it so negatively affects her ability to have a sexually fulfilling relationship and i think there are a lot of people out there in the same Mm -hmm. situation yeah i wouldn't put up with it i would be like i demand my orgasms the way i want them and you need to be okay with that amen yeah (laughs) um let's move on to our second question uh the listener writes in and says is pig play Something just gay people are into, or do straights, spelled S T R eight S, get into it too? I think someone has to tell me what pig play is <laughs> before yeah. I can answer that question. Yeah, so I had like two thoughts. Uh, it could be like animal pig play, like actually sex play with pigs, so zoophilia kind of thing. Right. And then I thought, okay, or it could be like like puppy play or pony play, so pretend pig play, which. Right. Also, some people do. Yes, but it's not. But it's not. It's neither of those <laughs> things. Um, so for, for gay guys, I think pig play is any kind of sex that involves one or more of the following, like a concentration on cum play, piss play, scat play, spit, uh, armpits, that kind of thing. So I think it's like ki- the kinkier end, what people might say is kind of filthy, mm-hmm. um, which is very common, I would say, in the gay community. Like when you're, I'm on Grinder or Scruffed, I always mm-hmm. see people who are like into pig play, like it wild, that kind of thing. Um, for straight people, what do you guys think? I've never heard that term used for that constellation of right. sexual behaviors, uh, but it's all of those certainly exist in the straight world as well. So there are people who are into piss play and 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 spit and uh, scat and. Um, do you think what else? What else was there? Armpits. Armpit. Uh, menstrual blood play. Right. So that would get added to that list, I suppose. But do you think it's as common, or or as sort of like accepted? Well, there, um, there are certainly more men who are. Uh, into that than there are women. So in terms of numbers, uh, I don't know if there are more gay men than straight men who would be into that. But, you know, if even if the numbers were the same, more gay men would be able to find partners that are willing to do that than there are straight men who'd be, who who could find willing women to do that with. So it might be more common and it might be more concentrated because of that, because you have, you know, more, uh, but I don't know. It's a, it's a good empirical question that Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone has tackled, whether you see more of these fetishes specifically than uh, in the gang, among gay men versus uh, straight men. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that it probably is much more common in mm-hmm. the gay community, not even necessarily because of, you know, if, if women are less into it and you have a female partner. But I also think that the gay community in general is more open to things that 
people would describe as filthy mm-hmm. or outside of that comfort zone because for so long, you know, a gay sex act in and of itself was, you know, assumed by so much of the population to be right, in that right. sort of outside area mm-hmm. beyond other beyond what was okay or normal or acceptable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so once you're there and once you're sort of cast out, it's easier to be like, well, I'm into this too. Whereas yeah. if you're default, you know, heterosexual and you're sort of within the bounds of things that are accepted, you don't. Why would you sort of go outside of that if you don't have to or if it's not sort of something you intrinsically need to get off? Right. Yeah, there's there's no doubt about that. Um, that that plays a role as well. Uh, you know, we know that, you know, gay male couples are so much more likely, for example, to be non-monogamous than straight couples. And um, that probably has to do even even bisexual people, bisexual men and women are more like. And the thinking is, well, you know, they've rebelled against this one sexual norm, mm-hmm. which is hetero. Uh, normative um, heterosexuality and it that makes it so much easier for them to break other kind of sexual norms and boundaries it was interesting to me too i saw amy schumer open up for madonna this weekend and she has this whole joke about you know what woman ever likes getting a facial and then she sort of makes the face that women have to make as they like scramble to the bathroom with their eyes closed (laughs) and it was really it's hilarious but at the same time like Personally, I'm a big fan of cum, and I think a lot of gay men are actually. And I think that cum is is like really an exciting thing mm-hmm. and and an arousing thing. And it has to do with like the more someone comes, the more you feel like you've turned them on. It's all these mm-hmm. things that that probably aren't even true and are based on physiology and right. that kind of thing. But um, I haven't met that many women, and I'm not saying all women probably obviously aren't this way, but I haven't met that many women who are, like, really excited about getting a facial. Well, you haven't re- met the right women, then. That's, apparently, <laughs> I need to be introduced. I think that what Amy, I've seen Amy Schumer do this bit before. Yeah. Um, I feel like what she's, what she's talking about, or I know what she's talking about from the bit that I've seen, is how preeminent that is in pornography and how the facial or that sort of like money shot is always there in heterosexual porn and that like really best case scenario like no woman is making a super sexy face while you're like spraying shit on her you know like it's not like uh, there's also a power dynamic that's different too so god this opens so many things that I want to say about this. Uh-huh. <laughs> but um, I think, so there are some women mm-hmm. who do like come play, uh, who do like come. So, you know, uh, men can fetishize come. Even right. heterosexual men can fetishize totally. come. I've met, you know, a lot of heterosexual men who are not into men otherwise, but they, they have a thing about come. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they like, like, you know, MMFs, threesomes with other guys, and they'll kind of fixate on the cum. Um, So uh, I know of women who have those sort of interests and desires, um, but there is is something about the porn uh, industry and the money shot that um, has angered a lot of women, it Mm -hmm. seems, and often it seems to be done in a a way that's supposed to be degrading to the woman. I personally don't think there's anything in and of itself inherently degrading in having cum on your face. Like, I don't, I don't see what's how that degrades anyone or anything. Why is, why is that that fluid on your face somehow more degrading than anywhere else on your body or, mm-hmm. or degrading in and of itself? But if you portray it in that kind of um, you know, uh, context or, or dynamic over and over and over again, then I think we start to make that association um, as, a, as a culture and a society. And women who are not into that kind of you know, DS play then become to have this very strong visceral reaction against it. I don't know. What do you think about that? 
I think that's I think that's absolutely true, and I think that um I think that is a lot more loaded for for heterosexual men and women or people in opposite sex partnerships mm-hmm. when they're doing that because I think that you know when two gay men are doing it, you're more seen on an equal playing right, field right. a lot of times. It's the same you know? parts you have, the same things exactly. that come out of your body. You can come on my face, I'll come right. on your face. Um, I guess a woman could come on a guy's face though too. Yeah. When women do, yeah. um, certainly squirters. We need to see more of that. I mm-hmm. think, yeah, yeah, and I think a lot of the sex negativity that we have in general that goes along with that—that that, you know, sex is something like okay, you do it, but then as soon as it's over, it's like it's just wash up and and not have any kind of evidence of that right. having happened, and you know, having come on on this very visible part of you and your body, um, kind of makes that impossible to right. kind of forget about it it's 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 very um in your face <laughs> quite literally yeah um and so i don't know i think there's some level of disgust that people have uh you know women in particular uh, yeah. in that i don't know so our next listener writes in I am a 56-year-old male and have real worries about my sex life. My concern is that throughout my life, I have had serious relationships with women that I was absolutely in love with. My sex life with each of these women has followed a pattern. In the beginning, the sex is awesome. My erections occur spontaneously and whenever merited. However, after a year or two, erections become much more difficult to obtain and much more sporadic. Many of these women try to understand but ultimately believe that either I don't love them or they are not sexy enough for me. My latest partner was a girlfriend of three years. She was unbelievably understanding, sexy, and beautiful, but ultimately I lost her. I know that if I find another partner, the same thing will occur, and I will probably lose them also. My question is, am I alone with this problem, and how can I fix this? Oh, <laughs> that is heartbreaking. Yeah, it is. That's a sad story. Um, no, you're not alone. Um, that is not very, uh, that's not that uncommon, so it's it's pretty standard that over that in the beginning when we first meet someone we're super excited about them and uh that raw sexual desire that you have in the beginning that thrives on novelty uh over time diminishes now we all differ our bodies and our the way that our bodies are and minds are wired they differ in how quickly and how um, sort of rapidly that uh, that decrease happens for some of us it happens you know fairly fairly uh quickly like like for for him right uh within a year or so and for other people it takes a lot longer it might take i mean it, it, it takes a lot longer to get to the point of the of that desire being very sporadic so it will start to decrease after that first year or so for almost all of us it's just that you know the decline might not be as steep uh for some people uh and that's that's something that a lot of people um have to have to deal with and struggle with in relationships. Sometimes it's the woman who loses, uh, who, who has a steeper decline, and sometimes it's the man who has a steeper decline. So uh, somewhere somewhere up to like t- thirty, I think, or or forty percent of couples, long term couples, will experience this kind of desire discrepancy at some point uh, during the relationship. <coughs> so how to deal with that? Um, well, there are um, erectile dysfunction, you know, uh, AIDS <laughs> called Viagra, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Um, and, um, to some extent, instead of what, um, 
this is often discussed uh, uh, for women, but it can apply to men as well. Instead of expecting that desire to be spontaneous and just happen out of nowhere, like you're, you know, you're doing the dishes or you're working on your computer, or watching TV, and all of a sudden, boop, erection happened. Mm. Let's go and have sex. Um, that might happen after you become sort of uh, aroused. So your desire might come after you've started to uh, engage in some some sort of sexual. Um, play so kind of s flip it around from from the desire to arousal uh, and flip it around from you know start from d arousal to desire mm. uh, with 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 help um, and that would be sort of my first go-to I have a radical idea <laughs> and this is something I learned from you oh yeah yeah when, <laughs> when we had our episode on non-monogamy uh -huh. because that was the first time I actually heard someone sort of articulate this idea of novelty and how important novelty is to sex um, and you basically said that a lot of times people who choose to be in non-monogamous relationships because they want more of that novelty mm -hmm. and being with one partner, they're not going to get enough mm -hmm. of it. So I think maybe sometimes in instances like this, people should think about having open relationships because you mm -hmm. can be with that person that you find so sexy and so beautiful and who, you know, compatible, compatible and, yeah. and it's great, but maybe just the novelty is worn off mm -hmm. and you need someone else to help you find that. Yeah, for sure. That's definitely a way of, of introducing novelty, so that might be an option. We want to take just a moment to thank everyone who took the time to write us and ask a question. We love hearing from you guys, and sharing your questions is a great way to spread sex education and positivity, which is really what this show is all about. Another great way to spread sex ed and positivity is to help people discover this podcast. So if you could, take a moment to find HuffPost Love and Sex on iTunes and leave a rating and review. Because if there's one thing that Karina and I love besides sex and love, it's reading our own reviews. We're actually kind of obsessed with them. I mean, it's the one way we can figure out what you like, what you don't like, and what you want more of. Like, for example, this one from Ben's wife on iTunes, who writes, I get giddy when I see a new podcast has been loaded. I have learned so much and really appreciate the open-minded, sex-positive vibes being sent into the universe. Well, thanks, Ben's wife. We like that you're spreading sex positivity, and thanks for letting us know. So you can leave a review, too, and maybe we'll read yours on the next podcast. Also, please don't forget to subscribe. Each subscription and rating helps us climb the iTunes ranking, which allows other people to discover our show. So our next question is from a listener who took some issue with the episode we did on anal sex a couple weeks ago. He writes in and says, in my experience, how to clean and prepare for anal sex is a major and valid issue. He says, your sex expert implied that a fear of mess was largely a misplaced fear, but that has not been my experience. Can you offer some advice in regards to cleaning before anal sex? Okay, so what for both of you, what's your advice for this, for this listener? Is your advice just sort of, you know... It's going to happen, or are there things you no, can do? No, there are definitely things, things you can things do. You can do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, go, you go first, because they would, don't want to hear from me. I would <laughs> say... You don't like what I have to say. <laughs> number one, like, I wouldn't eat, like, a big Chipotle burrito if you the know you're going to have, yeah. you know, anal anytime soon. Um, there are certain foods that you just don't want to, you know, anything that's going to... Indian, Thai, spicy <laughs> Thai. Spicy, yeah. exactly. Mm -hmm. Um... What? It's <laughs> true. So funny. It's true. I know, but it's just <laughs> we're getting down to the very basics like, well, here. They were asking. They were yeah. asking for the basics. And then you can you can do a douche before. And when I say douche, I I don't mean with like cleansers and that kind of thing. I mean you can get like a um. It's like a bulb actually that they use to like clean out children's ears, and you just kind of irrigate that. 
But is that safe? Because yeah, I've heard it, is a, it, is. it is. Unless you do it like three times a day. Exactly. You don't want to clean out everything that's in there multiple times a day. But if, I mean. Every now and then you do it like once a week or a couple times a week. Yeah. So you're just using fine. this little tool and it squirts warm water up there and it comes out. And for the most part, you're going to be pretty clean. Yeah. I would also say, you know, oftentimes you don't even need that. Oftentimes. Uh, but do you go to the bathroom at yep. least a few hours before having anal sex? So if you feel like you need to go, like, you know, now or soon, then probably that's not the best time to have that's anal right. sex. Timing also, is yeah, timing is important. If you feel like your stool is a little runny that day, mm -hmm. um, also probably not the best time to do it. Uh, if you know you're going to have anal sex later um, in the day, uh, take some, you can take some um, uh, antidiarrheal pills. Mm -hmm. And that will make it um, harder and, you know, kind of keep it up there. Yeah. Um, I don't suggest taking medication unless you, if you don't need it. But some people do do that. Right. For sure. it's, it's, it's an option. Yeah. So um, especially if you know that you're going to do something more extreme than just, you know, a, a regular penis kind yeah. of penis and anus sex. So if you're going to do some, uh, you know, fisting right. or like double anal or. Uh, major toy play major like big insertions yeah. um then i would i would definitely do a nice cleanse yeah. uh sort of you know the, the irrigation and probably a antidiarrheal pill uh beforehand but just for kind of regular anal sex go to the bathroom beforehand yeah. don't do it on a day when you ate you know very spicy food beforehand yeah. Um, also, I think a soapy finger is, a, soapy is finger, your best yeah. friend. Mm -hmm. Just get your finger soapy and mm -hmm. get it in there. Get there and know yourself a little bit better, and I think you're going to be okay. Well, all sorts of options for you there, <laughs> listener. I think we got you taken care of. Hopefully, this was better than last time. Yeah. <laughs> um, our next question from a listener is. I am in a monogamous relationship, the first and only serious relationship of my life so far. It's been a year now this month. I consider myself a person very interested in her sexuality and sex life. The beginning of my relationship was characterized by amazing sex, what originally brought us into the relationship, but has unfortunately began to taper off to just good to great sex, with even some infrequent bad sex. I've expressed, expressed interest in having multiple orgasms during intercourse, which my partner was interested in at first, but his interest has since waned. We discussed it, and he claims that sex feels different after my first orgasm. My vagina feels different, softer or looser. And also that I seem to not be as into it anymore, and that it is then harder for him to orgasm. Are you guys familiar with something like this? I love hearing you ensure women listeners that multiple orgasms are possible and amazing. I agree they are amazing when I have them solo, but I'm having a hard time feeling good about them when it causes my partner's experience to be altered and not in a good way. Ooh. I've got to say we have a lot of listeners with partners who I'm not huge fans <laughs> of right now. Exactly. I've never heard of anything like that, that, that the vagina somehow changes after the first orgasm. That seems like, pretty weird to me. Um, I mean, I guess it's possible. Um, just not familiar with something like that. But how different could it really be? Right. And I also think it's weird, too, that he said that she seems less interested. If she's having multiple orgasms, she's probably pretty interested. Or she's yeah. asking for yeah. Yeah. She yeah. wants them to hear. She's if, game. If anything, she's more interested right. to continue than yeah. she was the first time around. Uh, for me, I mean, I'm, I'm very multi-orgasmic. And for me, the first one is usually the hardest one to get. And then once I get that one, I'm like, oh, my God. So, that, yeah, let's keep going. More, more, right. more, domino more. Domino effect. Yeah, yeah, it's a total domino. Because you, you often, women often need to kind of get to a certain level of arousal before they can 
and you know, I mean, for all of us, before we can start having an orgasm, but then your arousal level doesn't really go all the way down like it does for men um, and hit that refractory period. You kind of just kind of stay up. Uh, you just come down a little bit and then you can go back up to the peak and then a little down and then back up and a little down. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of go um, repeat that cycle multiple times. So, yeah, I don't think she's less interested right after. So I think he needs a little, yeah. Well, yeah, what would you guys say, work. assuming that these aren't the reasons why, what, what do you think is motivating him to say this and how do we get her to... to get him past it. I think lack of communication, insecurity, and mm. the novelty factor have been a theme throughout so many yeah. of these questions. Yeah, it's so true. I think it seems like he has some sort of insecurity going on. Mm -hmm. I think it seems like there's obviously, you know, novelty. We just discussed mm -hmm. it. After a while, things change and you need to look to new things or try new mm -hmm. things to, to find the same arousal you initially would just have instantaneously. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know. It also seems like this guy is kind of a dick. I yeah. can't imagine being like, sorry, like your vagina just isn't as fun yeah. for me after you orgasm. Yeah, like you got one already. That's enough. Right. Yeah. Really? Also, anytime a guy starts talking about a woman's loose vagina, I just lose <laughs> interest immediately because that's such a gross old trope or like, yeah. oh, it's too loose for me. Or like, no, stop, right. stop. That's yeah, it's a lot of BS. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, again, maybe some workshops, maybe some books, yeah. um, maybe a new boyfriend, or yeah, boyfriend. I'm 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 often a little hesitant to tell people, you know, find a new boyfriend. I mean, maybe things are good, maybe they are compatible, maybe right. he just needs a little bit of work uh, to deal with insecurities. I want to be kind of understanding mm -hmm. to um, our men because I mean, we don't we don't teach them good things either, right? That's true. We don't provide good sex ed, and like, how are they supposed to know about pleasure? Right. If all they know from is is from porn, right, and everything they heard in school was no abstinence only until marriage or something. So I don't know. I would. I we'll would, take it back. You're not a dick. You might as be long, a dick. as long as you're willing to work on it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So work on it. She should just assure him that multiple orgasms is a good thing for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. So much more fun. Yeah. If you can have them. I mean, it doesn't seem like all women can have them, but right. if she can have them on her own, then she can probably have them with a partner. So, yeah, get working on it. And you know what? It doesn't have to be a penis. They're toys. If you, for whatever reason, don't want to keep having sex with your penis with her, yeah. just use a toy and there keep it going. are too many women in the world just not having any orgasm. Right. That <laughs> if you can have more than yeah. one, like it's like when, you're, when your parents are like, finish your meal, like yeah. there are kids who are hungry. Yes. Like take all of the orgasms because can. we have an orgasm deficit for heterosexual women <laughs> in this world. So true. And we've got to start making it up. Yes. Amen. Amen. Karina for president. <laughs> I would vote for you. Um, our next question, this is one that I am I'm interested to hear what you guys think. Uh, I got out of a long-term relationship a few months ago, and I just joined Grinder and Scruff in hopes of finding dates, not hookups. Well, that might be a problem, number one. Good luck. Yeah, exactly. Um, I've already had several interactions where a guy has asked me for a photo of my dick. I haven't taken one, and I don't think it's necessary for, for me to send one, especially when I'm looking for dates. Am I being a prude? Is this just how gay guys interact now? Well, you should know more about that than, I than, do. than we would. I do. I have a. I do have a picture of my dick. <laughs> I do send it to people, but I don't send it all the time. Mm -hmm. And I don't. I I feel like if you are dating, there is something about the mystery of not knowing 
Um, I think it has become kind of like a currency that's too easily, we just like, mm. here's everything. Right. There's nothing to wait for. There's nothing to look forward to. So it sounds like from the very beginning, you both were sort of like, Grinder and Scruff is not the place to find dates. Is that You safe? can. Yeah. But, but that's not I the would, primary. Yeah, I would probably, for, for guys like that, I would probably say, okay, Cupid yeah. might be a better place to find dates. Right. Um, because Grinder and Scruff are more about hookups. So the vast majority of men who are on there will be looking for hookups, starting with a hookup. And then maybe if something develops beyond that, maybe, right? right. But kind of the the initial uh, pull or interest is a hookup. And for a hookup, you kind of, a lot of people want to know what size they're working with or what yeah. appearance. Or even what it looks know, like. Yeah, what exactly. it looks like. So I don't think it's bad to not have a dick pic. No, I think if absolutely. that makes you uncomfortable, don't have a dick pic. That's great. Absolutely. I also think if you want to have one, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of your own personal comfort. And and if you, I will say, I've I've dated off of Grinder before, and it's sort of about the way that you you know position yourself. Maybe you don't have a shirtless photo. Mm. Maybe you know what I mean. Maybe your conversations aren't going towards that way. If you're going to decide to be on there, you just kind of have to take. You have to deal with the fact that where you most are. of those people are going to be interested in, exactly. in hookups. It's going to um, be more difficult. Yeah, you're going to be like one of those, like one of those women. Well, one of the many women on Tinder who say no hookups. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you're going to have to deal with a lot of men being on there for hookups. Yeah. You know? And just tell them, you know, if they get to that point, they can see your dick in real life. Okay, but I'm interested in this one aspect of the question that I don't think we've touched on, which is, is this just how gay guys interact now? A lot of us, yeah. I think that it's become a cultural norm to, to, to do that. And I think, I think it's great in a lot of ways, actually. I think losing some of that um, reverence for keeping, you know, private parts private. I don't know. I wrote a whole blog about this <laughs> last year about why I have a dick yes, pic. Yes, did. And, <laughs> and why I think it's important that people have them if they want to use them and not being ashamed about it. But as yeah. long as it's not coming from a place of shame, I think I think it's okay. Yeah. Um, there, I'm trying to think of data on how many men, gay men, are on Grindr versus uh -huh. aren't. Uh, because I was... I, I do remember seeing some OkCupid okay data on gay men on OkCupid, okay and they did not look very different from the straight people on OkCupid okay in terms of like how many partners they had mm. and that kind of stuff. Whereas when you look at people, gay men on Grindr, you find them to be a lot more promiscuous, for example, than, um, than straight men. Mm -hmm. So I think there probably is a difference between the gay men who are on Grindr and the gay men who are mostly on OkCupid. Okay See, it's just like a scientist to, to bring up like sample study size <laughs> and things like that. But I think you're totally right. I think you're right. I think if you're look, if you're on Grinder, that it probably is much more common for people mm -hmm. to trade dick pics because exactly. you're on Grinder. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So on to a very different topic. <laughs> uh, our next listener writes in, "How do lesbians have sex?" And as ridiculous <laughs> as I think that might sound to a lot of listeners, I think there are a lot of listeners who are like, "Oh my God, I'm so happy somebody asked that because <laughs> I don't." I also love that the question is literally just five words. It's not like, <laughs> how do they do this or what happens when this happens? It's literally, how do lesbians have sex? Well, I think the problem here is the, the term sex and us thinking about sex, meaning a penis going in a vagina. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so then we can think of like a, a subset of sex being, you know, a penis going into an anus. And but when there's no <laughs> phallus, when there's no penis, like yeah. how is it sex? Right. Um, and well, I think they don't. They just don't have sex. They <laughs> yeah. kiss and cuddle and hug. Netflix. Netflix. Yeah, yeah. they watch a lot of Netflix. They have yeah. dogs. They're okay. all Virgin Marys, right? Exactly. Totally. 
Um, they have so many different types of sex, and there's so many different ways to define sex, as you said, right? So right. if you are really bent on the, you know, something phallic going inside a vagina or anus, there are plenty of toys to do that with. So a lot of lesbian women do have strap-ons and toys that they can um, have intercourse with. Um, for some, that's not necessarily the preferred method, so there's a lot of oral sex mm -hmm. that goes on. There's a lot of manual, um, you know, hand sex, fingering that goes on. Um, yeah. well, we also have to talk about scissoring, because I think that's the other myth, too, is that, that women are literally just interlocking <laughs> their legs and rubbing until smoke appears. Yeah, exactly, you know? <laughs> Which you know, I'm just going to imagine, like, <laughs> someone in the forest and, like, a fire yeah. starting. <laughs> totally. Uh, and again, I think... You that know probably does happen to some extent. It's, right. Uh, I would... I would venture a guess that that is not the the, the go-to uh, <laughs> right. behavior for the vast majority of lesbian women. I think scissoring is like the lesbian equivalent of like dry humping for the heterosexual totally. community, mm -hmm. but it goes but, far beyond that. But I think it's a bigger, you know, the bigger point here too is that people, I mean, queer sex has been mystified for so long. Right. And how do queer people have sex? Just like straight people exactly. do, uh, you know, with some variations. It's like you're saying, mm -hmm. a lot of mouths, a lot of hands, a lot mm -hmm. of toys, mm -hmm. and whatever you can, your imagination. It's about what and different feels people, good. Yeah, yeah, different people like different things. That's yeah. what we're saying. You know, a lot of women actually don't like penetration that much. Right. So that's a rare thing to go to. It's mostly oral and and hand sex. Yeah, and other um, lesbian couples love love their fucking all night yeah. long. Exactly. So. It, there is no, there's no answer. There's some things. No one answer. No. But let's just redefine sex right now. Like, let's just take the opportunity to redefine <laughs> sex because I can't tell you yeah. how many people I went to high school with who were very religious and so they didn't have vaginal sex, but they had <laughs> anal, anal sex, sex mm -hmm. because like that was still okay somehow, and right. it doesn't count. And let's just. But what do you guys think the definition of sex is then? Because people also ask me, how many people have you had sex with? And that can mean, I can give you such a radically different number depending on what we're talking right, about. Right, right. Okay, so so that, that's not a listener question, but I do think we should talk about that question because <laughs> I think no one should ever ask that question. I think, well, yeah. It, it's impossible not to because there are so many different ways to define it. There are. And uh, so it really depends on what you mean. Right. Uh, and different people will have a different definition of what that means to them. So for the lesbian, you know, for the lesbian women who don't really like uh, penetration or for whom penetration is kind of like a rare thing or something that is kind of far far into the future of a relationship then that's not how they're going to uh, count their partners mm -hmm. they'll probably count partners based on you know how many people they had oral sex with or right. or how many people they um, had you know uh, or an orgasm with so um, there's so many different ways to define it I personally define it as have you had some kind of sexual interaction with someone that could have potentially led to an orgasm? That's how I do it, too. I usually say that one or more people had an orgasm. Yeah. Or yeah. could have had an or orgasm. Or could have had an like, orgasm. Yeah, exactly. Maybe yeah. you didn't complete all the way. Exactly. But you were, there were the situation was present that it could have exactly. happened. Exactly. So yeah. whatever that means to you. So if, if you're someone that comes from, like, breast stimulation, from, like, nipple right. uh, stimulation, if you had that kind of thing with someone... I you think had, that counts. You had sex. Yeah, yeah I agree. Um, back on track. Back to our <laughs> next question. Uh, my brother has been dating a woman he really likes for about four months. He's 28 now, but when he was in his early 20s, he dated men for a while. He says that it was just a phase and he doesn't identify as bisexual and he doesn't think he needs to tell her. I think he has to tell her. 
who's right. Ooh. That is such a tricky one, right? Uh, it is a tricky one. Because there's one. also a lot in this question that's not being said. Mm. I think part of it is that there's this idea that men can never, that once a man has been with a man, that he's always gay. He's been <laughs> right. like tainted by the dick. Right. And that he's it's living like a, a lie. drop. Yeah, kind of it, theory, exactly. Yeah. I don't think that's true. No, absolutely not. Um, but I do question, well, I know why he probably wouldn't want to tell her because he's, he's worried about that stigma. Mm -hmm. But I do worry about a relationship where you can't tell people something like that. Yep. I agree. It's a, it's a, it's a tricky situation and, and it really depends on what he really feels. Uh, it, it, is that something that he's just saying to his, to his brother and it's not true? Does he really believe that? Um, I, I believe in honesty. Mm -hmm. So I believe that you should, if you're going to be with someone long term, especially if you think of marrying them and having kids and building a, a life together, that they should be able to accept you for who you are, including all of your past. And that if they are not willing to do that, then they're not the right person for you. Right. That because you are who you are because of everything that has happened to you in your past and, and the, the, the person that you love and loves you they should be aware of that. Um, I totally get where the fear comes from, that there is a lot of stigma around that, so he fears that. And, and maybe now is not yet the time to tell her. You know, four months in, you know, you're still kind of new. You still are not sure what, you know, whether that's going to lead to something else or not. But, yeah, just because he dated men for a while doesn't mean that he is going to go back to that doesn't mean that he can't be monogamous he may be bisexual in his attractions but just like many other bisexual people he only has room for one car in his garage <laughs> <laughs> as I, lisa diamond says i also think the person that wrote in has to ask themselves what their true motivation is totally. because right. at the end of the day i think it seems like this person believes that they're brother is yep. bisexual or mm. gay yep. and is trying to bury that and closet that right or and pull the wool over this woman's eyes right, right. yeah and so i think she's she or he is looking out for her brother and for her brother's partner right. and so i feel like that's another conversation that you maybe you mm -hmm. need to have with your brother saying you know why wouldn't you tell you know why yeah. wouldn't you tell her why aren't you telling her i also think the other thing to realize is They've been dating for four months. Right. You know, there are you know there are lots of different ways of dating. Sometimes dating for four months means you see each other Once. two times a month. Right. Yeah. You know, He's for you know, or something like that. Yeah. And your entire sexual history or personal things about you aren't going to come up mm -hmm. for right. years. Then yes. there's an omission yes. happening. Right. Um, so it just depends how you sort of tread that line. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I don't think that you need to share that information on the first date necessarily, right? Or right. You know, the first. You know, a couple of months, so yeah. I think it would be, I mean, not weird if you wanted to, but I don't think I'd ever go into a first date and be like, okay, so here is my sexual history. <laughs> right, like, right. here Every you single are. person. Exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah. names and background checks. <laughs> like, yeah. probably not. I'm more concerned that there is some kind of stigma here at mm -hmm. present, mm -hmm. and that's what worries me, I guess, for everybody involved. Yeah, and for the for the person who wrote in, if, if the concern is that, you know, your brother is likely gay and just suppressing it or trying to whatever, then that is not necessarily true. I mean, it right. might be the case. Yeah. We don't know. We certainly don't have enough information. But if it, it definitely does not have to be true. And it's ultimately, very possible that you it can't isn't. really do anything about it. Right. You know what I mean? And so I, you probably have good intentions, but it seems like mm -hmm. you kind of just have to step back mm -hmm. on this one. Yeah. Um, let's do this one next. Uh, my brother and his partner recently used... A lot used, of brothers here. Yeah, lots of brothers going on. <laughs> 
recently used a surrogate, and they have beautiful twin girls. I know they used the eggs of a good family friend, but I don't know if they used a sperm donor or if they used the sperm of him or his partner. My brother hasn't said anything about it, and I'd like to ask, but I don't want to offend him. How can I bring this up? Oh, interesting. Yeah. I really like this question. <laughs> Do you? I just think it's really interesting. I think it speaks to a lot of different things in the way that people are, you know, creating families totally. for families and how that mm -hmm. happens. And I think just like the question on like how do lesbians have sex, <laughs> there are going to be so many questions that come up yeah. about just the schematics of things. Brave new world. Mm -hmm. um, in this instance, I feel like the fact that your brother has had a surrogate who has been pregnant they've had it seems like they've had the twin girls mm -hmm. the girl like and he hasn't told you that information means that he doesn't want to share or they've yeah. chosen not to share that information and i i think i can understand why mm -hmm. someone would feel that way if it's biologically related to one or not the other mm -hmm. yeah um Right, because then who's the real dad? Right, right. All of those conversations start. Well, and then I think you have to ask, what's your motivation for asking that question, too? Because right. it's like, if you're an aunt now to these, as you said, these beautiful twin girls, like, does it change anything? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and why, why, I mean, I think I'd want to know, too, just out of it's curiosity. curiosity. Of but, like, is there really a reason that you need to know that? Yeah. Um, yeah, so all, all those are good points, I think. Um, I think there's nothing wrong in asking mm -hmm. in a way that allows, uh, you know, your brother to say that they don't want to right. answer. So, you know, you can ask something like, you know, I'm kind of a little curious about this, you know, about, you know, who donate, who donated the sperm. I'm totally cool if you don't want to share it. I was just curious if, if that's something that's secret or if that's something that you feel comfortable sharing. And I think that's sort of a fair way to ask and given out if they don't want to share. And if they're like, yeah, we'd, we'd prefer to keep it secret. And you're like, okay, cool, no worries. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah, that's so reasonable. So civilized. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's interesting too, though, because w will the kid want to know? You know, I mean, right. I think you're going to, yeah, these questions, might. it almost seems, I understand why you wouldn't, but I also seem like, it seems like these questions are going to, Come, come up, up eventually. Mm -hmm. So it, yeah, so it's good to know as a family what the answer is. Right. Like when other people ask, uh, is the question, uh, I don't know, mm -hmm. or oh, uh, I've never thought of asking, or oh, that's just something that we've decided not to share, which right. is a perfectly valid response that yes. people will respect. I think. Agreed. Next listener asks, do you think that people living in New York City have a harder time meeting people to date and marry than in other cities? Oh, yeah, this guy wrote in. He's a gay man. He said that he's been uh, living in New York for 10 years. He's looking for a long-term relationship, um, but he's been very disappointed, and he feels like his friends in other cities have an easier time. He wonders if it's because people here are more career-obsessed or if it's cultural conditioning or if he's imagining it. Because <laughs> do you think that New York people have a harder time finding significant others? I've heard this from both gay people and non-gay people. Yeah. That, uh, and I'm, I'm not sure if we have any research behind that to suggest that that's the case, but uh, there's certainly been a lot of anecdotal evidence, and a lot has been written about it, too, that the New York scene is different. And I think probably a, diff a few different reasons um, for that. Uh, well, one is there's so many options. That is the thing with me. Yeah. That's how I feel. It's like <laughs> I'm guilty of this too. The next best thing is always mm, coming around the corner. Exactly. And yeah. you just can't. It's hard to commit to making a choice when there is so much 
else to choose from. And there's certainly a lot of research evidence to suggest that when you have a lot of choice, uh, one, it's harder to choose one thing. Right. And second, you're less satisfied with the choice that you've made because you always keep thinking, oh, what if, right. you know, maybe that other choice that I had would have been better. But why is that specific to New York City? Because there are so many people and so many mm. single people. Yeah. Like my friends in Minneapolis have a much smaller pool of, of gay guys mm-hmm. to date. Mm. And so it's like there's there's less choice. And so, mm. yeah, I think that's super yeah. interesting. Yeah. And there, I mean, there's definitely so much research to suggest that, that right. a, a little bit of choice is good. So if you only have like one thing to choose from, <laughs> to choose from then people are not very happy with that. They want choice, but right. up to a point. And then once you get to, uh, you know, you go to a supermarket and once you get to like, I don't know, six or seven options for the same toothpaste, you, first you have choice paralysis, right? Mm. You don't know what to choose. Like how do you even evaluate what's better than than what right. uh, and then you're you're often less likely to buy anything mm. b- because you don't know what to choose and then if you do buy something you're less happy with that mm. because you're always thinking of what um, whether the other options would have been better so that's definitely more so in, in New York because a lot of young people come here a lot of single people come here for career mm-hmm. for you know uh, right after college or whatever to try and build careers and they're, so they're all single and they're all potentially looking. There's right. also a lot of acceptability of hooking up, a lot more than in other places. Um, a lot more anonymity that you can have around that. And so all of those things, I think, play a role. God, this is why we bring you in. <laughs> so interesting. <laughs> but don't give up. Yeah. I mean, I, a lot of people have found partners in New York, so... You know, keep Karina, trying. Karina Kolodny is an, a prime example yes, right there. I'm, I'm another stories. one. There we go. Yeah. Look, everyone but Noah. Everyone but Noah. <laughs> once again. That's okay. Noah gets all the I'm in love with you fan mail. So every once in a while Aww. you get to take a hit. It's okay. I'm too busy having lots and lots of sex. <laughs> on grinder with your dick pic. There you go. So you. are you really complaining? I'm not complaining. Okay. <laughs> that's it for this week's episode of HuffPost Love and Sex. Thanks to everybody who sent us a question for this week's episode. And thank you to our producer, Caitlin Bukuki, and our audio engineer, Brad Shannon. HuffPost Love and Sex is all about spreading sex positivity and education. So take a minute to help us out and subscribe to us on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to leave a rating or review while you're there. Each subscription and review helps more people discover our show, which is pretty much a public service. Exactly. And click those gold stars, people. If we get more gold stars this episode, HuffPost has promised to give Karina an unlimited supply of bullet vibrators, and I get my own pig pen. (laughs) On our next episode, we're discussing virginity, what it means and what it's like to still be a virgin later in life. You won't want to miss it. Bye. Bye. Bye.